this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to see what you would have us to understand from this and guide and lead us. Show, let your spirit teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Kings chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Uh, we just had the miracle of God's deliverance of Jerusalem uh, from the Assyrians. He killed, uh, killed 185,000 uh, Assyrian soldiers that were surrounding Jerusalem. Uh, the king of Assyria went back home and ended up dying at, at home. And so now we're going to continue from that point in verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech you, O Lord, remember how, now how I have walked before you in truth and with perfect heart, and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass when, before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord, the God of your, David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto your days fifteen years, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. I want to stop there for just a moment because there's more looking on this. Uh, Hezekiah, remember, has been a good king. He's been following God. He got rid of the high places. He's turned the people to God. Uh, he trusted God in the, in the battle toward, you know, the, the, well, the almost battle for Jerusalem. Uh, he was trusting God. He has shown that he's not real strong in many cases. He, even though he was told that, that, that God was going to deliver him, he, he doubted, and God still delivered him. And now he's sick. And as many people that are following God get when they're sick, they'll go, God, you know, I've served you so well, and they start making deals just like Hezekiah is going to do. Isaiah went in and said, Hezekiah, you're going to die. Get your house in order. You know, get your, get your, get, you know, designate which son's going to rule after you, get, get everything in order, get your funeral, get your funeral planned, uh, you know, let everybody know and, and get this all planned. You're going to die. And that should have been enough for Hezekiah. He's going to go home. He's going to be with God. And he immediately started crying out to God. And he said to God, you know, remember me. Remember all that I have done for you. Now, we are going to find out by the end of this chapter that this is a prayer that is really bad that God answered. You know, and this is something that's interesting. There are people who believe that God does not answer prayers that hurt us. And in general, he won't. But in this case, he answers a prayer of Hezekiah that's going to turn out to be terrible for the nation uh, by the time it's done, because during this extra 15 years... Manasseh is born. And Manasseh is one of the worst kings of Israel, of, well, Judah. He was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. And he was 12 years old when he started to reign. And Hezekiah had 15 extra years. So three years into his extra time, Manasseh is born. And he's going to turn out to be a terrible king for the people. And he brings idolatry and 
and terrible things which we'll look at when we get to that section. But this is a prayer that many in Israel probably regret having had seen answered. And we want to be careful what we ask God for. We need to make sure that when we're praying to God, we're asking him things that he wants. Not things that are going to make us feel good or that make us necessarily happy, but God, what do you want? And that's a very important prayer because Hezekiah doesn't do that. He just says, God, I don't want to die. Nobody really wants to die. But he was just, he got so bad, you know, and it's kind of interesting. He says, remember how I've walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart. Okay, now it's not completely perfect, but he's understandable. He's been following God. He's been a good king. And, and he's going, you know, and I've done what's in your, in, good in your sight. And then he just breaks down into tears. And for some reason, God answers this prayer. And he's just told him through the man of God, you're going to die, get everything ready. And now he's praying. And Isaiah, before he even gets to leave the palace, you know, he's barely gone down the steps. He's in the, he just came out of the inner, inner court area. He's in the middle court, it said. They hadn't cleared the middle court. And God said, go back and tell them I've heard your prayer. And this is you know, one of those things that I've said over and over again. We need to be careful what we pray for. Most of the time, God will not answer a prayer that's going to hurt us because he's a good parent. But there are times, and, and most of us, even as parents, have allowed our kids to do things that we knew were not good for them because if we always told them no, we had to give them chances to make some bad decisions once in a while and be able to help them. Because if we always told them no, then it didn't help them. They didn't, they didn't learn. In this case, Hezekiah is going to be allowed to have a bad prayer answered and selfish prayer you know all he's saying is I don't want to die and I don't understand that because he understood that when you die you go you know you your sins are forgiven you're going to enter into the presence of God and all of that stuff he's a good king he knew he knew his destination was to be with David and Solomon and all of his all of his relatives and yet he made this prayer I'm not ready to die now, I know that there are many Christians that are in that same boat. They're, they're just not ready to die, mostly because they don't understand the truth. If you're truly a servant of God and his child, death is a good thing. Isaiah, Psalm says, precious is the sight in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Paul said it, that the absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So for a Christian, death is the doorway into true, to the fulfillment of our life. For Hezekiah, it would have been the fulfillment of his, of his life, and that he made this prayer, very selfish prayer, God, I'm not ready to die, I want to keep going. And it was a prayer that's going to hurt his nation. And we're going to also look at what a crazy attitude he had by the end of the chapter 2. Because God is going to tell him it's going to hurt his nation, he's going to go, you know, but not in your time, be in your children's time. And he goes, oh good, as long as it's not in my time. You know, and I'm going, I just can't understand that kind of a comment from a leader. You know, well, as long as it doesn't happen to me, I don't care. You know, it's happened to my kids, you know, grandkids, whatever. You know, I just don't understand that attitude. And yet that's Hezekiah's attitude toward the, the bad that's going to happen in the future. And, but he has, he has this vacillation. He's, he is a strong man. He's following God. But there's all these vacillations. When, when he's told that I'm going to deliver you, he doubts and, and keeps, keeps praying to God instead of just resting in it. Uh, 
And we're going to see that even in this, he's not going to be settling for what he says. He's going to ask for signs. Now, he still doesn't trust. When God says something, Hezekiah doesn't trust. And that's not a good place to be. We need to be able to understand when God says something, we take him at his word. Especially when we know that it's his word. And he had Isaiah speaking to him. Isaiah, one of the great prophets, was speaking to him and saying, you know, this is good. You know, this is good for you. Uh, you're going to die, get your house in order, you're, you're going to be with God, and he doesn't accept that. Isaiah is here going to tell him that, okay, God, is, God has heard your call, cry. He has added 15 years to your life. Now, I'm not sure that I, even if I had extra time, I'm not sure that I'd want to know how much time I had left. That would not make me very happy, you know. Uh, can you imagine what this is like? He's, you know, for... For 15, 14 years, any, anything going on, I, I'm, I'm invincible. God said I had 15 years. That last year, you're going to be worried about doing everything. Because they never said whether it was going to be the beginning of that 15th year or the end of that 15th year. So, you know, he doesn't know how long, how long he has exactly. He doesn't know that if it's going to be exactly, th- you know, 15 years to the day. He just knows it's 15 years. And so here we are. He's given a specific time, and Isaiah comes and gives him this message. You're going to have 15 years more. And again, this ended up being a terrible thing for the nation. Now, I don't know what happened to his other sons, because I know he had to have other sons, and why Manasseh is going to be the one that gets, gets chosen. Uh, maybe he sends them to war and they die. I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea. Maybe Manasseh's mother is you know, one of those vicious ones and it takes them out. I don't, we don't know. Uh, maybe he didn't have any other children during this period of time. So we don't know. Um, but we have this situation where he gets extra time and, and Isaiah gives him even more good news. I'm totally removing the king of Assyria out of the picture. I'm defending the, 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 the city and he's gone. You don't have to worry about Assyria during your lifetime. So this is good news, and he thinks. I got 15 more years, and Assyria is not bothering me anymore. Everything sounds good. Have you ever been in a place where everything looks like it's going your way, and everything looks like it's perfect? Those are scary times for a Christian, because God says the trials and tribulations are what we face, and what I have found is when everything is going good, something is going to happen. (laughs) Usually not what I want to have happen uh, when everything looks like it's going, the, going my way. And we also tend to let our guard down when everything's going our, our way and we're not having to trust, don't seem to have to trust God as much. And this is what happens, and this is what's going to happen to Hezekiah during this period of time. All right, verse 8. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and, what, and that I shall go into the house of the Lord the third day. And Isaiah said, This sign shall you have of the Lord, that the Lord will do a thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten steps, but let the shadow return backward ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet cried to the Lord and brought the shadow ten steps backwards by which it had gone down in in the dial or the steps of Ahaz. All right, Isaiah gives him this great message. God has heard your prayer. 
That should have been enough for him. Why? Because Isaiah was nowhere near him when he made the prayer. Just the idea that God heard your prayer should have been enough for Hezekiah to know that God had spoken to Isaiah. But he immediately goes, okay, what's the sign? What, what, what am I looking for to know that this is true? Now, how am I going to know that I'm going to be healed and, that, you know, and three days later I'm going to be in the temple worshiping? And if you, I didn't bring that out, but three days is a picture of Jesus' resurrection from the, from the dead because Hezekiah is on his deathbed and he's going to be brought back, you know, figuratively brought back to life in three days. Uh, and his immediate thing is, how, how do I know you're speaking the truth, Isaiah? You know, not enough that you just told me I prayed to God and you, know, and you weren't in the room, but you know, how do I know that you're giving me the right word from God? Yeah, this is my biggest problem with Hezekiah. He's a good king. He's a good follower of God, but he has so much doubt in his life. Now, that also brings it to us that God can use us even when we doubt. And he can call us useful and good even when we doubt what he says and doubt what he is doing. Because it is human nature. We walk by sight. We want to see things. God, show me something that I can see so that I know that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. He's just been delivered from the Assyrians who had him surrounded. God destroyed the army of Assyria. He took the king away from him. He's now said by the prophet that he was going to heal him when the prophet wasn't there to hear the prayer. And he said, I heard you, God heard your prayer and said, he said he's going to give you 15 years and you're going to go into the temple and worship in three days. And he goes, okay, tell me, give me a sign showing me that all this is true. Yeah. It is just a bizarre thing because he's, he keeps seeing God work and, you know, it's, and, I, and I think I, I hear it all the time from people if I just saw all the things the disciples saw or I just saw all the things that Gideon saw, if I just saw all the things that you know, these people saw, I would not have lacked faith yes you would have you know, all of them did too all of them lacked faith even though they saw and so do we, we see God's hand all around us and we still will lack faith so often. And Hezekiah asks, so uh, Isaiah says, okay, God, here's the sign that God's going to do for you. What do you want? Do you want the sun to go up the stairs or down the stairs? Uh, now, it says dial in some of the versions and everything, but literally it, there's a staircase that, was, that Hezekiah designed, and we think it was in the temple. Uh, they think it was in the temple. And it wasn't designed as a sundial, but the sun, they'd watch the shadow go up and down, you know, go down these stairs. Uh, and so Isaiah says, what do, you want, what do you want God to do? Do you want him to take the, you know, move, that, move the shadow forward or do you want him to move it backward? Uh, and Hezekiah, you know, quite logically says, well, hey, anybody can move the sun, you know, sun forward. If, if we just wait, it'll move forward and... <laughs> And you'll say that that was God's sign. I want it to move backwards. This is a big deal. Now, what was the miracle that God did here? Did he make the sun literally move backwards? Did he change the earth's direction for, for, to move it back 10 steps? Uh, did he just make a miracle and make the shadow <laughs> go backwards 10 steps? We don't know. And you know what? It doesn't matter how he did it. He did it. He did it. Uh, you know, because God is capable. God is capable of being able to turn the earth the other direction for a period of time and then spinning it back again. 
you know, uh, he would be perfectly capable of reflecting the light just right to make the, make the shadow go back. We, we don't know how he did it, and it doesn't matter how he did it. But Hezekiah was able to look down, and that shadow had gone backwards 10, ten steps on that, on, on that uh, staircase that he was looking at. And it was very interesting. It went backwards. I think this was a big miracle because we're going to see some things coming out of Babylon that kind of indicate that they knew something had happened and you know, something had happened in that land. Uh, so I think there was a big, I think God literally did something miraculous to move the sun or move the earth to change the shadow. Uh, you know, and these are things that I, I wish I could find references in history. You know, when God stopped the sun in, for Joshua's battle, I would love to find something from the other side of the world in the middle, in the in Polynesian area or something where it said, and we had darkness for a full, full day and we don't understand it. You know, I'm sure there's probably history out there that somewhere there's a record of a, of a, of a night that just did not end. Uh, well, there would have to be because if God stopped the world, you know, stopped the sun there, there had to be darkness on the other side of the world for a full full 24 hours as well. I would love to have somebody come up and find these records from these Indians and tribes and they'll be, they'll be you know, excused and, and, and said, well, no, that really didn't happen, but I'd love to just hear those records. I'd love to hear about the day where the astronomer said, and there was this very strange occurrence where the, where the earth turned around and went backwards for, for whatever 10 steps were, because this isn't a sundial, so we don't know what 10 steps represented, but Let's say it was even just a half hour, 15 minutes, or a couple hours. You know, uh, somewhere there was a, had to be in some report. Because astronomy has been followed for a long time. And if it happened there, that sundial went backwards someplace else. <laughs> and so this is why it would be very interesting to hear and be able to find other places that collaborate these kind of, these kind of stories. I take it by faith. I know God did it, but it would just be fun. It would be fun to have these stories come out somewhere else that nobody's going to believe. Because even if they read it in the old Indian or Middle, uh, Polynesian things, yeah, we had a long day. Well, what do you mean you had a long day? You, you, you had a bad night and didn't realize that only 12 hours had gone by, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, probably never happened. But, and Hezekiah says, hey, it would be easy for it to go forward. You know, God could make that go forward. It's, it's going to go forward anyway, you know, Isaiah kind of attitude. Let's, let's see it go backwards. Let's see that go backwards. And it happened. It went backwards. And so this is Hezekiah. He's a very hesitant person to believe God. But God says he's a great king, and he's going to bless him. And he did great things for God. And to me... For all of his failures and everything, it's an exciting thing because you look and it say, God, you can use him. With all of my failures and unbeliefs and everything, you can use me. And this is the good news when we look at these individuals that God talks about in the Bible. He goes and he gives us their failures as well so that we can look at them and say, God, you know, God, how can you use me? And then he goes, well, I used David. He was an adulterer and a murderer and I used him. You know, he was a terrible father. Look what happened to his kids. You know, uh, great shepherd, great, great king, but he was a terrible parent. And he used all kinds of problems. You know, 
God would say, well, I, look what I used Abraham for. I, Abraham told lies all the time. Uh, and he told lots of lies. <laughs> you know, got his wife in trouble, got her, in a, got her into a harem twice because of his lies. Uh, you know, and God had to protect Sarah because of the lies of Abraham. You know, all these guys, you look at their stories and say, God used them in spite of their problems. He used Peter in spite of Peter's foot and mouth disease that he always had. You know, uh, he kept saying the stupidest things, and God still used him. You know, used Thomas in ways that you, we don't really recognize from the Bible, but he is the missionary to went to India and started the churches in India. All right, and we call him Doubting Thomas. You know, because he said, "I saw Jesus die." And you're telling me that uh, he's alive. And in our day and age, we'd probably be going, what were you guys smoking last night at the, at the uh, Bible study? Because I know he's dead. You know, and yet God used him. Over and over, God uses people with weak faith and that make mistakes. And why did God record all that stuff? Because if he gave us nothing but super saints all through the Bible that never made any mistakes, we would never believe that he could use us. So he shows us his saints and his great, great men of God, mistakes and all, to say, well, I use them, I can use you, because it's all God anyway. And this is the good news that we have with it, is that it's all him that comes, comes about. Verse 12. At that time, Berodactal Adan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house and precious things and silver and gold and spices and precious ointments and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasury. There was nothing in his house nor in all of his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. He gets ambassadors from Babylon. Now at this time, Babylon is a backwater nation. It's not growing up yet. It's going to be about 17 generation, uh, kings before, uh, 16 generations of kings before Nebuchadnezzar comes along and conquers the world. So right now, they're just a small entity way out in the middle of nowhere. They're starting to get, to, they're starting to get power. They're starting to be known. But they're not an empire yet. They've been able to hold off Assyria. They're the only ones that were able to hold off Assyria, but they're not great yet. And they send people to see Hezekiah. Now I want to go to 2 Chronicles for just a moment because I want to talk about how powerful uh, Hezekiah has become. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Second uh, Chronicles 32 Verse 27. Well, let's start back at 24. And in those days Hezekiah was sick unto death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spoke unto him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered, rendered not again according to the benefit done, done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and upon Jerusalem. So he got proud. He got healed and he got proud. He didn't render to God all the glory. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of God came not upon him 
in the days of Hezekiah. So he did repent, and God says, okay, not in your day. All right? We're going to see that in our other chapter. Verse 27, And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor and made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and, and, and pens for his flocks. Moreover, when he provided himself cities and possessions for flocks and herdsmen in abundance, for God had given him substance very much. This same Hezekiah also stopped the utter, upper watercourse of Gihon and brought it straight down on the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all that he had done. And then it goes on to talk about the visit from the Babylonians. So during this period of him getting healed to the period that the Babylonians come to visit, we don't know how long it is, he has accumulated a lot of wealth. God has blessed him. And he has built vaults for silver, vaults for gold. He's created pens. He's building satellite cities. He has huge armories. And it talked about the shield, storage places for shields. He's built armories. And he's got watchtowers all over the place. He is strong. Now, huh? We don't know exactly when in the 15 years it is. Uh, we don't know exactly when that happened. So, but he's gotten strong. So I think it's fairly deep into the 15 years that his pride has taken over him because he's built, he's built buildings, he's built, uh, built the storehouses, he's built the treasuries. So, and remember, while he was being attacked, he had to strip out all of his silver and gold and take the money from the temple to give to the king of Assyria who didn't accept the gift. So this is sometime after it. I'm going to say most likely we're looking at five to ten years at least because it takes time to build buildings. It takes time to accumulate this kind of wealth. Uh, now, it could have been very fast. Who knows? I mean, God, God can do what he wants, but I'm guessing we're looking at five, you know, five to ten years for this, study, this statement that Chronicles made it out to be. So he gets these visitors from Babylon from this particular king, and like I say, this particular king of Babylon is, about, is 16 generations away from Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to be the great, great king of Babylon that takes over, the, takes over the known world. And they come because uh, bearing letters and presents. Right? And it says because they'd heard he was sick. Now I'm wondering when I read this, are they coming to see if he's weak enough to be taken over? Are they coming because he has been able to build up, build up his kingdom since then? And they want to know exactly how strong he is. Would he make a good ally? Would he, would he be able to cover their, their south, southwest flank by being an ally with them? I don't know. There's not enough in there. They're giving him gifts. They're flattering him. Uh, and I don't know what language they use, but he eats up the flattery. He eats up every bit of it. And he takes them all through, and it says he showed them everything. He showed them all of his riches, all of his armories, all of his treasuries. He says there was nothing in his, in his possession and his kingdom that he did not show them. Now, this is a very foolish thing to be doing. 
Because if they want to go after him, he's showing them how rich he is to give them an incentive to come after him. And he's also shown them his treasury. He has shown them how strong he is militarily. So one of two things can happen here. They're going to say, okay, well, you've got a good enough military. We want you to be our ally and sign, sign alliances, which is probably the way Hezekiah is thinking. If I show them how strong I am, then they'll want to be my allies and I'll be okay. Or are they looking to see, is there any weaknesses in this guy? Do, you know, do, do, is there any weaknesses that we can exploit? Uh, obviously there wasn't because they're not going to attack him until 16 kings later. Uh, but it's a big deal. He has opened up everything to them and shown them and shown off. And it could just be as simple as he is so proud to say, look what I have. And he's bragging. And he's going, look at this. Look at my army. Look at all my, look at all my gold. Look at all my food. You know, look at all this. And, and Chronicles said that he had changed the direction of a river, uh, a stream, so that it went into Jerusalem so that, so that he couldn't be besieged and lose Jerusalem because he couldn't be cut off from water. And you have enough water, you, can grow, you could grow things in gardens and be able to support your people. So he has made Jerusalem stronger against siege. He's gotten a bigger army. He's gotten all kinds of gold and silver. He's being blessed by God and showing off as if it's all his. You know, look what I have done. And this is actually a danger for us as Christians. When we get used by God, we're in a dangerous place because sometimes we can get proud and say, well, God, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, God, I know it was you that did. You know, we start with God, I know it was you and do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, after a while, it's like, God, you're so lucky I, got, I was here to do this for you. And then after a while, we forget the God part completely. Look what I have done. And this is where Hezekiah has gotten at this point. Look what I have done. Hey, Babylon, look. Look, look at all my wealth. Look at my army. You know, I've been victorious in all my battles. I've taken back cities. I've, I've strengthened cities. I have become strong. And this is where I'm at. And, you know, and he's talking to them, and you know, he's kind of feeling pretty confident because Babylon is approximately 550 miles away from him on a straight line. Okay? That's not the way they would come if they attacked him because that straight line took them through all desert, desert regions. So if they come, they're going to come up, they'd have to come up the Euphrates and down and straight down south. So to actually get to him, we're talking 800 miles, 900 miles, because they're not going to march straight to him. So he's feeling pretty cocky. You know, these guys are from a long ways away. You know, I, can, I can treat them nicely and we're, we'll be okay. And uh, we're going to find out God did not have that same opinion about his, his bragging. Uh, verse 14. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men and from whence came they unto you. And Hezekiah said, well, they have come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, all things that are in my house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And Hez Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come when all that is in your house and all and that which is your fathers have laid up and stored unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of, all, and of your sons that, that shall issue from you, which you shall beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Uh, 
Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord that you have spoken. He said, It is not good if the peace and truth be in, in my days. Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? All right. Isaiah comes to him. And his question is, what did these guys say to you? you know, what did they say to you? Where are they from? And what did you show them? Three simple questions. You know, and basically saying, what flattering lips did you listen to? Where are they coming from? Because Babylon, even in that time, was a wicked country known for, known for its idolatry and, and, and worship. And then he goes, what did you show them? What, why did you open up to him? He already knows the answers. God's already told him. God's already told him what he does. And Hezekiah's answer is so interesting. He goes... And what did they say to him? And I can picture what was being said. Oh, king, live forever. You're so wonderful. You're so great. You know, we've heard about your riches. We've heard about, you know, might have even heard about the sun going backwards uh, 10 steps and finding out that it was his prayer and his God that did it. So there's some general curiosity about it because Babylon has always been known through all of history for its astronomy. All right. Uh, they're, they have kept records of astronomy. They have the, the names of the stars going way, way back. And the names of the stars match very close to what God called the stars from what we can tell. Uh, because you look at the Babylonian names for the stars and they have the gospel message all through the stars. All right, so Babylon has been watching the stars for a long time. They've been watching what's happened. And these astronomers are going to be very, very aware that the sun has gone backwards uh, or the earth has gone, something's gone backwards. Because <laughs> their stars are going to go backwards. <laughs> Everything is going to be out of sync for them for a period of time. So I think part of that drove this visit to them, to him. They found out who made this prayer, what God, God has done this. And so they're out there and they're flattering him. They're telling him all of these things. And Hezekiah goes, you know, um, well, you know, they're from Babylon. They're from Babylon. That's a far country. I don't really. We don't have anything to worry about Babylon. You know, how many times do we get in trouble because we give a small place to some sinful activity or thought? You know, well, God is just a little thought. I would never fall for something like that. You know, it's just a small thing. This is what Isaiah is saying. You know, it's a small country way, way away. You know, they're, they're from Babylon of all places, Isaiah. You know, I don't have to worry about Babylon. Uh, they're, they're a long ways away, no problem. Anytime we give place in our heart to something that's not godly, it's going to cause problems in the long run. Even if it doesn't necessarily cause problems for us, it may cause problems just like it did for Hezekiah and our family and down the road. And Hezekiah does not understand what he's done. He has not prayed, he has not sought God. He accepted their flattering words and their roasts and everything about how wonderful he is and how great he is. And in the process he says, you know Isaiah, I showed them everything. They're far away, I didn't have anything to worry about. They, they said all these nice things about me. Uh, they wanna be friends, they want an alliance. So I showed them everything there was in my kingdom. Oh, what a terrible thing he, he had done and didn't even know what he had done because he did not follow God in a personal way. He knew about God. 
he loved God as, as he understood God. And this is something that's very important for us. We need to always strive to get to know God better, get to know the Word of God better. There is never a time or place where you're going to say, God, I now know everything there is to know about the Bible. I've only been studying it for 50 years, and I still don't know everything there is to know about the Bible, and I've been finding new things out every time I study. Never, and I hope that I never have a time when I think I know everything about the Bible. Now, I know a lot about it. I know quite a bit about it, but I don't know everything about it. And Hezekiah never really accepted that he did not know God completely. His lack of trust for God showed that over and over again. God has blessed him. He gave him extra long extra years of his life made him rich during that period of time and he's turning away from God and doing bad activities because he still doesn't fully trust God he's always going he's still going by sight not by faith and this is he says I showed them everything you know and there's no indication that he thinks he's done anything wrong he's very blunt to Isaiah saying uh, yeah, they're from Babylon I just showed them everything there was to see he doesn't even understand it. Even when the prophet comes to see him to start chastising, chastisement, he doesn't even understand that he still has a, that he's done something wrong. There's no repentance in his heart. Even when he's being, being questioned by the prophet, no question, no, no repentance. Then Isaiah said to him, uh, hear the word of the Lord in verse 16. Verse 17, Behold, the days come that all that is in your house, all these riches that you just showed off, all these uh, treasuries that you just showed off, and that which your fathers have laid up, so not just you, but anybody else before you put up any treasurer, any treasury, which is going to primarily be referring to the temple, but anything else that had been out there, shall be carried away to Babylon, and there shall be left, uh, nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. Now we know that when Nebuchadnezzar does come and conquer Jerusalem, he tears down the entire wall of, Jeru of uh, Jerusalem, except for a very small portion that got left. He tears down the temple. He tears down the buildings. And, I, and the city of Jerusalem is a pile of rubble when he gets done. God made this one come completely. He goes, Hezekiah, you think you're so proud of your city that you didn't build. You're proud of all the stuff that you didn't, that you didn't accumulate that I gave you and that your fathers gave you too. There will come a time when all of it is going to be removed. Now that's bad enough. Jerusalem's going to be totally annihilated. And we read that and it doesn't hit us as much as it did with the Jews. This is not just their capital. This is where the temple stands. This is where God dwells. There's no way Jerusalem's going to fall. It was bad enough for American history during the War of 1812 when the British took D.C. and burned all the buildings. And they had to rebuild. Now, they didn't ravish them quite as bad. They didn't tear them all the way down, but they burned and destroyed and defaced all the buildings. And that hurt American pride because our capital had been conquered and taken away from us, and we had to conquer it back. Uh, so this is, we have that attitude to it. And the funny, funny thing is, most people don't ever realize that D.C. had been conquered at one point in time, because they don't know American history, all right? But this is 
God's city, God's dwelling place is going to be destroyed. All because of Hezekiah's sin and his pride. Then he goes even further, and your sons that you shall, that shall issue from you, and this isn't his direct sons, because it would be grandsons and great-grandsons in this case, because we're four generations away from those that go into captivity, four kings away from those who go in captivity. So we're talking about his great-great-great-great-grandchildren uh, shall be taken away, and they shall become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now we know that several of the princes of, of Israel were taken into Babylon. We know the names of four of them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all princes of, of Israel, so they are Hezekiah's descendants. And they were taken and they were made eunuchs in, his, in, the, king, in the palace of, of Nebuchadnezzar. So this, again, is a one that is a prophecy that will be fulfilled in the right period of time, and it's prophesied here. All right? And it is very strong, all because of Hezekiah's pride in dealing with Babylon. And God says, you were so proud, you thought you were something, Babylon will be your downfall. And it's kind of interesting that God usually uses, wherever we feel we're strong and we get proud in, God uses what we are proud in to be our downfall. And I've heard people as simple as saying, well, I would never get drunk, take a drink or, or get drunk. And then a few years later, decade later, where are they falling? In that area, they say that they would never happen. When I was a teenager, if you told me that I was going to have a time when I walked away from going to church, I'd go, uh-uh, no way, no, no how. And yet, I got so busy in workaholism that I've, fell away from the church for about two years. And God, you know, we need to be careful. The very place we think we're strong and we can start taking pride in, God will say, well, let me show you how that is not yours. You're not going to be strong. I'm not going to let you be strong in yourself. God says, I am your strength. I am your keeper. I am your shepherd. I am your stronghold, not, your, not you. So if there's any place where you think you'll never fall, God will say, that'll be exactly where you fall. And this is why I say over and over again, you know, we look at some of these great evangelists or pastors that have a big name and they, get, they fall into adultery and, and in, or, or worse, and people start judging them. Well, you know, one of the things I can almost guarantee that they said when they were younger and before they fell, I would never commit adultery. I would never do anything to dishonor my pastoral position by falling into that and, and, and being disobedient to my vows. And then they are tempted at just the right time and just the right way with just the right person and end up falling. We need to be careful because it's easy to fall. It is easy to fall in the, if, under the right circumstances. And we're going to see that in, in this nation. And, you know, and then we look and it's... Hezekiah has just been told Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Your, your children are going to be taken into Babylon and be made eunuch, made eunuchs. And the thing was, the day shall come. Okay, so he knows it's in the future. And, and his answer, then Hezekiah said in verse 19 to Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord which you have spoken. He said, is not it good that there will be peace and truth in my time? <laughs> you know, 
well, you know, uh, you know hey, hey, I say, it's really wonderful. Bad things are going to happen, but while, while I'm living, everything's going to be good. I don't understand. The, the, that's it. This is his arrogance, his pride. Everything is like, you know, uh, I, it's all okay, you know, because uh, while I'm alive, it's all going to be okay. And so it's just kind of interesting, you know, maybe it's just resignation, you know, okay, I can't do anything about it, but it's good it's not happening in my lifetime. But anyway, I don't understand why he could even begin to say it's okay as long as it happens to my kids. Most parents would never say that about their kids, and that really shows just how full of pride he is. Well, as long as it's happening in one of my kids sometime in the future or my grandkid, I don't, I don't care. Every, everything's good in my day. Everything's good in my day. I'm going to be okay. Now, we've seen this attitude before in some of the other kings. Your, God is going to take your kingdom away in three generations. Oh, good, as long as it's not my, not my, not my year, I, you know, not my, my life, you know, it's okay. I don't understand this, this attitude, but then again, I'm a leader that cares about my people. I would not want to see my, my problems be punished on somebody down the road. And yet, that's his attitude. Well, it's a good thing it's not going to be my day, you know, praise God. <laughs> praise God, it's not going to be my day, it will be somewhere down the road. Uh, I'm going to have peace and truth in my days. And I don't know, maybe he's hoping that, that his son would repent and, and, and be able to push it even further down the road. I don't know what he's looking at when he made this, made this call. Okay, but we are getting close. We're going to have Manasseh, we're going to have... Uh, uh, Manasseh's son, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, Amon, Ammon, and then we're going to have Josiah, and after Josiah, we very quickly have three kings with very short terms, and Josiah is going to be the last great king of Israel, and Josiah is another one of those guys who starts early, he starts reigning at eight years old, but he does everything right, he you know, Hezekiah is said to be a better king, but Josiah has so many good things said about him. I can't imagine how Hezekiah is said to be the best king because uh, Josiah pretty much is going to do everything right for God. He's going to clean the temple out. He's going to rebuild. He's going to find the law, and he's going to repent because he's going to have the law read to the people. He's going to do everything, and he's three, he's three generations down from Hezekiah, and they'll have two bad kings in between Hezekiah and Josiah. And then after Josiah, they go downhill rapidly. And God finally brings judgment on them. But Hezekiah's attitude is, well, that's eh, not my day. No big deal. You know, no big deal. So it's going to be six, seven kings down the road uh, that, that, that this happens. You know, my, 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 my grandsons are going to go to go be taken prisoners into Babylon. They're going to be made eunuchs. You know, no big deal. All the wealth is going to go to Babylon. No big deal. It's not, not in my day. We're going, to be ha we're going to be fat and happy in my day, and everybody's going to have everything they want in my day, so who cares what happens in the future? The sad thing is that's a very human, natural response. Hey, everything's good in my day. I don't, I don't care what happens in the future. And this is something that we need to be very careful about. You know, our desire should be to, for the future as well as for today. What is the long-term consequences of our life? You know, 
I look forward to hopefully having somebody say in the future, what, you know, he made some changes that affected, affected the world. Hezekiah has made some changes that are going to affect the world. The wrong way, but it's going to affect the nation. And God has put in motion a, t a stopwatch. It's going to happen, and here's what's going to happen, Hezekiah. Your nation is going to go into captivity. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Your children are going to go into bondage. Your, your, your lion is going to go into bondage. And his attitude is, oh, it's all fine as long as it's going to be good for me. And I just, I find that statement very hard to swallow and very hard to understand what kind of king he must have been to be able to say that, make that statement. And then we end this with, and the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he had made a pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of, Chronicle, of, of the Chronicles of Ju the kings of Judah? And this happens to be the book that we have because it tells us a lot more about him or at least part of it. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. So he dies and Manasseh reigns. And the very start of chapter 21 says that Manasseh was 12 years old. So he was born during the 15 years that Hezekiah was given. And if he had not been given those 15 years, Manasseh would never have ruled. And who knows what would have happened to the country at that point. You know, God had already pronounced judgment on him, so they need Manasseh to be for the judgment to fall. Uh, but Manasseh is born during that period of time. And lots of the different things that happened in his life and Hezekiah was used by God, but he was a very soulish man. He was very much into human thinking, human thought. He did not believe God when God spoke. He's asking for signs. Even, even in Chronicles, we are told that you know, they're starving to death you know, because they've been besieged. And, and they were told, well, we are going to have a feast tomorrow. And he goes, even if God had poured down you know, manna from heaven and rain from heaven, we wouldn't be feasting. He never believed completely. He would be told something and he would not believe it over and over again. Now, I don't want to be too critical because we as Christians do the same thing. We, get, we read God's word, we get told something, we learn something, and we tend not to believe it either. So I don't want to be too critical of him. I just love it that God used him anyway. And we don't know, how, like we said, we don't know how far into this it is, you know, but he's probably thinking, like you said, maybe, well, I just have five more years to live anyway. Who cares what happens after that? You know, my kids are going to be, my, my kids are going to be made slaves, you know, and the, the, the whole, the whole nation's going to go be, be conquered, but I don't care. It's okay for, it's okay while I'm alive. I just, you know, the, you, you get that attitude on it. And I just don't understand that attitude. You know, my goal, my goal, like most parents is God make my, kids have a better life than I do not oh okay God I had a good life you just let the, whatever you whatever you want to do to them God go ahead and do it to them I just don't understand that attitude as a, as a parent uh, it's just hard for me to understand maybe in his pride maybe he already understood the, the nature of Manasseh maybe he already understood that Manasseh wasn't all that good a kid uh, you know so maybe he understood that Manasseh is going to deserve what comes comes this way and I don't know. I'm only speculating on that one. Uh, so we don't know what happened, but his attitude was just a strange one to me. 
you know, okay, God, whatever, you know, I'm glad it's not happening in my day. Let it, let it happen to one of my kids or grandkids. And that's just a really interesting statement that I don't fully understand. Uh, but this all goes to show the pride that is in Hezekiah's heart. His pride so strong that he didn't want to die. His pride so strong that he says, oh, let me show Babylon everything I have because I am so great. And I'm sure that they flattered, the, flattered him like crazy as they, with their words to, and, you know, oh, what a wonderful thing you have. Oh, what a, what a great, great treasury you have. Oh, look at that treasures that you have. Look at this wonderful city that you have. Look at that, look at that hole in your, in your defenses that you don't know anything about. <laughs> uh, you know, as they're going around seeing everything, putting it in the records of what, what the strengths and weaknesses are of Jerusalem to be used later on by Nebuchadnezzar. All of this is going on, all because of his pride. And the pride shows when he's given a, given a curse that everything's going to fall apart in some day. And he says, well, as long as it's not in my day, okay. Now, what an extreme amount of pride this man had. And it never, he never broke of it. Never totally broke of it. Now, Chronicles tells us a little bit of breaking on it because he was blessed by God, but he, he, he suffered from this pride issue for his whole life. And he did all these works for God, and he's saying, and that's what he said when he said his prayer, God, look at all the things I've done for you. Aren't they worth something? That's his pride speaking, and yet God listened to him. It is hard to sometimes figure out why would God listen to somebody that's so obviously not obeying and following him. And yet he did. So we need to avoid pride. Pride goes before the fall. Pride always goes before a fall. And God always disciplines pride. And Hezekiah is going to get it. And he's had it several times you know, through here, but the end of his pride is going to be the destruction of the nation. And it's going to be other people that add to that destruction. But he starts that ball rolling. God says, because of your pride, this is going to happen. And Manasseh, with his bitterness and his bad, is going to add to it. Ammon, with his bad, is going to add to it. Uh, Jehoiachin and Jehoiakin are going to add to it. We're going to have a number of kings that are adding to the fall of the nation. And all it's going to be is a continuation of his pride. All right. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to be on the guard against pride. Help us to repent of any pride in our life and stay humble for you and not have to reap any judgment because of that terrible attitude of pride. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. 
After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.